So thankful again to be able to bring the Word of the Lord to you this morning. Like we were last week, we'll be in the first epistle of John. Last week we were in chapter 2. This week we'll be in chapter 4. If you weren't here last week, we heard about Christ our Advocate. We took a look at what it means to have an Advocate with the Father. We discuss the propitiating work of Jesus Christ and that through His work He satisfies the wrath of God that at one time rightly stood against us. John, the writer of this letter, then pointed to us the fact that the work of Christ actually accomplishes something in our lives. This week, we will be picking up in chapter 4 where John actually circles back to what we studied last week. And if you've read the epistle of 1 John, you, you see a series of um, cir- not circular arguments, but he, he says something in chapter 1 and he comes back and he wants to revisit that and, and expands on what it means. And today we're going to kind of look at an expansion of chapter 2. We'll even discuss that term, that beautiful term for Christians, that term propitiation once again. And as we look at the text this morning, I want to look at three main ideas One, the source of love. Two, the pinnacle of love. And three, confidently known by love. Before we go to the Lord's Word, let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. We ask that you would bless the time that we have in your Word. We pray that it would be effective unto our hearts, that we would live lives of righteousness as we walk away from this place that we would be so propelled by the love of Christ that people would know us, would know that Christ, would know that the Lord was upon us because of our love. And Lord, I ask that You would help us this morning with Your Word. We pray that Your Spirit would be upon us, that You would give us grace in hearing of Your Word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would, stand this morning in the honor of the reading of God's Word. 1 John chapter 4, verse, verse 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we may know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, 
so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because He, as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from Him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. Brings us to our first point, the source of love. John begins verse 7 by addressing those whom he's writing to. He refers to them as a beloved a people who are beloved. John, like we discussed last week, cares deeply for these disciples. He cares cares for them. He cares that they know the truth. And he continually throughout his letter here refers to these people in this way, beloved. So what does a loving apostle have to say to those whom he loves? He tells them of the God who is love. He begins by exhorting them to love one another And as we mentioned last week, John knew and had obviously known what Jesus has said that he recorded even in his gospel in John 13, 35. We read this last week. He says, by this, this is the word of Jesus. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. He echoes the teaching of Jesus in verse 7 here in his letter. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Indeed, it is the necessary result for all Christians to be loving people, especially of those of the household of the faith. John reminds us that the source of all true love is God Himself. And if you are a Christian, then your life ought to be one that is marked out and characterized by love. In verse 8, he draws a clear line in the sand. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We must stand here and say with John, yes and amen. We love because the God of love has saved us and called us to be His own. In saying these things, John assumes that his audience knows what he means by the word love. John makes sure that we know that God is love and love is from God. The reason for this is because for us to understand what love truly is, we must know who God is. God is holy, righteous, just, merciful. He is a God of love. And when John says God is love, it comes with the truth that God is the definer of what love is. God never changes. Therefore, the love of God is not a feeling or an emotion that is subject to change. God's love is consistent with His nature and His attributes in that because God is holy, it is impossible for Him to to love unholiness. It is impossible for God to love unrighteousness. It is impossible for God to love injustice. The statement that God is love can be paralleled with what John says in chapter 1. If you turn back for just a moment, in chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, this is the message we have heard for Him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. 
If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Saying God loves righteousness and unrighteousness at the same time is the equivalent of saying that God is both lightness and darkness. He continues on this vein. All that said, to deal with the fact that there are many of those who seek to affirm their sin using this verse. You guys have heard this. They twist the love of God as an opportunity to love themselves rather than loving the God of the universe. And as Christian, we must recognize this idea for what it is. If God loves goodness, He cannot love evil. How much more should we think about that idea in our personal lives as Christians? We look outside of these walls and we see people who say, love is love. If God is love, then I ought to be able to love who I want. God cannot both love lightness and darkness. He is the definer of love. That brings us to the greatest example of love and point number two, the pinnacle of love. In verses 9 through 12, John here points to us the very pinnacle of true love. The love of God was put on display when God the Father sent Jesus Christ into the world to save a people for Himself. Let us look at that verses 9 through 12 again. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. He sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. It is in Jesus Christ that we receive life. God shows that true love is that which loves the unlovely, the enemy, the despicable. God the Father loved us in that He loved those who were opposed to Him. And in loving those who were opposed to Him, He secured the means of redemption that they may have life. What a lesson this is in how we are called to love. He continues in verse 10, is this love, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Love was demonstrated not because of our love for God, but because of His love for us. He again reminds us of what we heard in chapter 2 about His propitiatory love, that wrath satisfying love. Jesus bore the righteous wrath of God on our behalf that we may know what it means to be truly loved. Again, we look, we look to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. If you want to turn there. In verse 4, Paul says this, "...but God, being rich in mercy..." because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
Paul here describes this very fleshing out, so to speak, of propitiation. The richness of God's mercy. The greatness of His love in saving a dead sinner. He says this again in Romans 5 and verse 6. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Paul points to the fact that it was out of God's love for us, for His own righteousness, and that He sent His Son to make a way for a people for which there was no way. He loved an unlovely people. In light of this great truth, John bids us in response to love, to the love of God to love one another. And if we have been loved when we were unlovely, we should also love those who are unlovely in our lives. And this includes those both inside and outside of the community of faith. In truth, there was a time when we were outside of the community of faith. If you're in Christ today, we were outside, we were outside the camp. We were in need of the love of God. And so I ask you this day, brothers and sisters, how is your love? Paul ends this amazing truth by pointing to something. And I want us to look at the Westminster Larger Catechism for just a moment. Some have had difficulty with this verse and it may seem out of place to you, but I assure you after we get done, hopefully you will feel that it's not out of place. Verse 12, it says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. This reminds me of question 7 in the Westminster Larger Catechism. It says, What is God? God is a Spirit in and of Himself infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection. All-sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundance in goodness and truth. Even though since God is a spirit, even though no one has ever seen God, this does not mean that God cannot be seen. God abides in every Christian and the world can see God's love shown in how we love as the people of God. And I ask you, would your life be characterized by love? Would people look and see the work of God in your life and experience the work of God through what has been accomplished in you? And I pray this day that we would evaluate our love in light of the One who loved us so much that He died for our sin. He became a propitiation, satisfying the wrath of God on our behalf out of His great love. That brings us to our third point. Known by love. Back at verse 13. It says, By this we may know that we abide in Him and He in us because... He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. 
And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. Every Christian here has the Holy Spirit. We know that we abide in Him because He has given us His Spirit. Despite what some fanciful folks may say, we are not known by our ability to speak in tongues, but by our love. Those who are filled with the Spirit confess and testify what John points to us in verses 14 and 15. He says, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Those who are filled with the Spirit confess that Jesus is the Son of God and that God abides in Him and He in God. That is what the result of a spiritual life is. A life of love confessing the truth. And one can only say those things in the Spirit. It doesn't require some fanciful thing or some language that nobody knows. We see one of the many times the word world is used again in John's letter. The term here again is used not to teach some kind of universalism, but that Jesus is the only Savior in all of the world. Indeed, He will redeem His people in all of the universe that is groaning for the day that he that when he returns the people of god confess the truth about god and as john said in chapter 2 verse 5 of first john it says but whoever keeps his word truly the love of god is perfected by this we may know that we are in him whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked And he repeats again in 4.17, our abiding in Christ, our advocate, gives us confidence for the day in which God will certainly judge the world. Because we have an advocate who has paid for our sins, propitiated for our sins, we can enter before the righteous God with boldness, knowing that our only plea is Christ and Him crucified. Moving on to verse 18. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Verse 18 does not teach that we are no longer to reverently fear God. Rather, it teaches us that we won't have to enter before Him afraid of the punishment of sin, because our sins by His love have been paid for. He stops and gives us an important truth that describes how the love of God works in the life of a believer by telling us we love because He first loved us. We learn here that God's love was the first cause in our salvation and life as a Christian. And not only is it the first cause, but it is the sustenance of our life as a Christian. The love of God. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, verse 20, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. He points out that those who say they love God and hate their brothers are liars. This verse removes any idea of Lone Ranger Christianity. You have heard it said, maybe even you have said, that you don't need to go to church in order to be with God. 
You may even point out the difficulty that there is with so many church people. If you say you love God, ought you also to love your Christian neighbor? How are you to love them when you never see them? If we say we love Him, we will love our brothers and sisters, the people whom God has saved, who has put, have put His love upon them. And John echoes here the teaching of Jesus regarding the greatest commandment. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Jesus says in Matthew 22, in verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test to him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I ask you, Christian, today, would you be known by your love? Would you be known by your love? And I'm not speaking about emotion. Although love can be emotional. But I am speaking about what John points out here, that love is a tangible reality. Love goes to the unlovely. Love acts. If you're outside of Christ this morning and you've never trusted and known what it is to know the love of God, please, I beg you, consider Jesus. He came to save a people who were unrighteous for Himself. Motivated by love, He came to save the lost and to call a people who were dead. A dead in their sins to Himself. What greater act of love is there than to do for someone what they could never do for themselves? Can you say this day that you have experienced that love? If you have not, call upon His name and don't delay. He is willing and ready to save you. Maybe you are a Christian here this day and you have been confessing Jesus but living with hate in your heart. How long must you continue in your unrighteous anger? Will you not love even your enemy? I pray this day that Redeemer Community Church and all of God's churches around the world, no matter what they're named, would be a people of love, holiness, righteous, and merciful love. May you consider that as you go through this week, as those who are difficult stand before you. Will you... Flare up in anger or will you trust in Christ and love them? Even so much so as to feed your enemy when he is hungry and to, to go above and beyond. Christian, I say this and echo John. It is our duty that we be a people of love.
not in order to not in order to earn it not in order to lo- earn love in return but to love because God first loved us and to put the unseeable God on display in a world so full of hate and darkness to bring light and love in a hard and dark place. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.